Back in the day, there was a, a, a Native American chief, and he had his warriors around him, his young braves around him, and he's imparting wisdom to them. And he tells them that there are two warriors inside of all of us. He said, there's one warrior that fights for what's easy. There's one warrior that fights for self. He said, but there's another warrior that fights for what's best for the tribe. There's another warrior that fights for others. And as he's telling this story, one of the young braves is getting, getting all excited and, and he just blurts out, well, which one wins? And the chief looks at him and he says, the one that you feed, the one that you feed. So I'm sure that you can see in life that there are people that live for self and then there are people that live for what's best for the tribe. And this morning, we want to talk about living for what's best for the tribe, living for the kingdom of God. Because if we're saying we want an open heaven, do we want the open heaven just for me? Just so I can sit under the spout where the glory comes out? Just so I can sit and I can receive blessings? You know, sometimes that is the mentality in the Christian world. It's about me. I want it. I should get it. But if we're really living a Christian life, it's about others. It's always about others. Even Jesus himself said, I didn't come to be served. And if there's anybody that ever walked on the face of the earth that deserved to be served, it was Jesus. But he said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Matthew 25, 37 says, Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it, to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you're doing it to me. You're doing it to me. When we step outside of ourselves, when we step out of that place of it's about me, and we begin to minister into other people's needs, we're doing it as unto the Lord. Do you believe that? All right. Are you there in Genesis 14? Point one, people are an inconvenience. People are an inconvenience. Ministry would be so easy if it wasn't for you. Living this life, walking with Jesus would be so easy if we didn't have to deal with other people, right? But that's not the way that it is set up. People are an inconvenience, but to have an open heaven, we must help people connect with God. In Genesis chapter 14, we see that there were kings that had come against the kingdom of Sodom. And it says in verse 11, so the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah, 
and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions, and they went their way. Here's the first sub point. Fighting for family sometimes can be inconvenient. Fighting for family sometimes can be inconvenient. This was Lot's fault. In the, in the chapter just before, in chapter 13, it says that, that Abraham and Lot, because they had so much stuff, they were going to split. And Abraham said, you go wherever you want to go, and I'm going to go the opposite direction. And it says that Lot looked and saw how good the valley looked, how nice it looked over there, close to Sodom. But it ends by saying that the people of Sodom were evil and sinful people. He knew what he was getting into. And in fact, he was just moving all of his flocks and everything close to Sodom. But as we're reading here, he was living in Sodom. You get close enough to sin, you're going to fall into it. We spend so much time trying to think, how close can we get to something without getting burned? Right? We do it. It's human nature sometimes. How close can I get to this without getting myself in trouble? Instead of thinking about how far can I stay away from it and get right in the presence of God? My family made it hard for me to go to hell. There was a time in my life when I was roasting marshmallows over the flames of hell. But I had a praying mother and a praying father and praying grandparents, and they made it hard for me to go to hell. I was trying. Had a little Methodist grandmother. She wouldn't stand on stage. My grandfather was a Methodist pastor. She was never on stage, but that woman could prophesy like you wouldn't believe. She prophesied things that you would never think were going to happen. Yet this little Methodist woman, when I was in the midst of all the stupidity that I was living in, she would introduce me to everybody as her little preacher man. <laughs> and I hated it. Hated it. How dare you? I'm not going to do that. But she was prophesying over me. She made it hard for me to go to hell. Are we making it hard for our family to go to hell? Are we making it hard for our family to continue to do the things that's keeping them away from God? Separated from God. Are we making it hard for our kids just to not be apathetic? Think about that for a minute. Because no one has the authority to fight for your family like you do. No one does. Don't leave it to somebody else. You fight for your family. You fight for your family. Verse 14. When Abram heard that his kinmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and he went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them. Then he brought back all the possessions. He brought back his kinsmen, Lot, and his possessions. But it doesn't end there. The scripture does not end right there. 
the end of the scripture says, he brought back his kinsmen, Lot, with his possessions, and the women and the people. Now, I don't know why women are not considered people in this scripture. That's, that's, that's a whole nother topic for another time, okay? But it's not just inconvenient fighting for family. It's inconvenient fighting for somebody else's family. It's inconvenient fighting for other people. We're not meant to just stop when it's just me. I've just got everything that I need. My family's doing okay. Everything's awesome. Well, guess what? It's not awesome in everybody's family. And it is our job as Christians. Do you know that just fighting your, for your family is just half, half of the job? It's just half. We don't want to be half Christians. What's half of Christian? Chris, you don't want to be that. <laughs> we want to be full Christians. We don't want to just say, hey, me and mine, we got it all together. We're, we're hiding out from the world. We got it all circled up. We're living in our castle, staying away from the world because we don't want the world to touch us. Don't want that to happen. Man, I love Jesus. Jesus was such a radical. Such a radical. I was just reading this morning about when he, he called Matthew, sitting there at the tax booth. He called Matthew, and the very next thing, it says that Jesus was hanging out with the, with the tax collectors and the sinners, and it was making the church people mad. It's making the Pharisees mad. Why does he hang out with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus said, I didn't come for everybody that's got it all together. I didn't come for the well. He said, I came for those that are sick. And they're sick all around us. There are people that need to be connected with life. There are people that need to be connected with Jesus all around us, all around us. So our job is to fight for our family and fight for others. You know, we've got plenty of people right here in our church that we could spend years, really, just trying to fix you, right? We could just pick one, and it'd take years. But we don't want just those that are here. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you for, for joining us on Sunday morning to worship together. But all over Tyler, Texas, all over East Texas, all over in this, this religious part of the country, there are people that are not connected to Jesus. And that's the ones that we want. Amen. We want those that nobody else wants. Amen. We want those that don't look like they belong in church. Amen. We want those that when they come in, half of you scoot to the other side because I don't know what they've been up to. We want those that nobody else wants. We want the unconnected, the disconnected. We want the hurt. We want the wounded. You know why? Because they make the best Jesus freaks. When they get set free. Excuse me. You know how I know? Because I was one. I was one. I've been saved for 28 years now, but I remember what I was. I remember who I was. I was hurt. I was disconnected. I was outside. But Jesus wanted me. Jesus wanted me. 
Jesus wanted me. And that's the ones that we want. That's the ones that we want. Let's go get them. Let's, let's get out of our seats. Let's get out of our comfort zone and let's get them. Let's get them. Because they can't save themselves. If they would, if they could, they would. So let's go get them. Let's be Christians. Let's don't just be church people. Let's be Christians. I want to read a little something to you. You ever notice that at times when the church gets kind of, kind of lax, that, that, that God even uses the secular arts to preach the gospel? He does that at times. Back in the 1840s in England, the church was having some issues. And a man named Charles Dickens, if you know anything about him, wasn't the most moral guy. But he writes something here, and since we're not too far from Christmas, I'm going to read you just a short little passage of the Christmas carol. Is that okay? All right. This is the part. I'm sure everybody has seen the story in, in some shape, form, or fashion. So you kind of understand that when Scrooge is in his house and his ex-business partner, who's now deceased, shows up to speak to him, and he's trying to help Scrooge not have the same fate that he had. And Marley says, not to know that no space of regret can make amends for one's life's opportunities misused. Yet such was I, oh, such was I. But you were always a good businessman, Jacob, faltered Scrooge, who now began to apply this to himself. Business, cried the ghost, wringing his hands again and again. Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, and forbearance and benevolence, they were all my business. Let me read this first one again, just in case the, the old English. Not to know that one space of regret can make amends for one's life's opportunities misused. We don't want to misuse the time that God has given us. That's the reason Paul said, take the time. Make good use of the time. Redeem the time. Redeem the time. That's been my prayer over the last few weeks. Lord, I don't want to be found wasting any time. I don't want to be found wasting a moment. I want to give it all to you, as Hannah was talking about earlier. Give it all to you. And the truth is, this is why we are here on the earth. This is why we're here. Verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High. Here's the second inconvenience. Church is an inconvenience. 
Church is an inconvenience. Hebrews 10.25, though, says, Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another. If we want to have open heavens, we have to help people connect with others. But we live in a society where church just isn't the priority that it used to be. In fact, I was looking up on the internet, and we're going to look at them here in just a, just a second. The five top excuses for Christians missing church. This is, this, this is not, uh, this is not you know, people outside of a relationship with Jesus. These are people that say they have a relationship with Jesus. These are the five top excuses for missing church. You ready? All right, the first one, or number five. We'll count up. Number five. Kind of feel like David Letterman right now. Number five. I've had a long week. Whoever used that one? I've had a long week. Wow, man. Work has just been crazy. I've just had a long week. So to make up for this long week, I'm just going to skip church. Let me give you some statistics. Around three hundred million Christians worldwide face persecution and are impeded from openly gathering for worship. That happened today. 300 million. 300 million who would love to be in church and openly worship either had to hide or were not able to do it today. You had a long week, and they're grateful they survived the week. As I was looking some of this stuff up, they were showing photos from 2016 of Christian persecution. And you may remember this from the news. The line of, of, of Christians that were dressed in those jumpsuits and let out to be beheaded. And all they had to do was deny Jesus. All they had to do was deny Jesus. We've had a long week. Now, don't expect you to be here 52 weeks out of the year. I'm not going to be here 52 weeks out of the year. But you know what? We don't skip every other week. I got all the Jesus I needed last week, you know, we'll take it off this week. I hope you're not receiving this as condemnation, because that's a lie of the enemy. It's not condemnation. This is just, let's wake up just a little bit. Let's go up a little bit higher. Let's give 100%. All right, reason number four. We want to have family time. We want to have family time. Let me ask you this question. What would be better for your family, to be in your presence or be in the presence of God? <laughs> Once again, we know that you're going to take certain times off, but, but, but there are people that, oh, we're going to have family time, and they have family time three times out of the month. I was talking to somebody uh, a few months ago and, and, and asking them, 
Hey, I haven't seen you in a few, few weeks. Hey, yeah, we're, we've been having family time. What have you been doing? Oh, sleeping in late. Uh, anything special? No, nothing special. Just kind of sitting around the house. And I asked him this question. I said, what would be best for your family? Being in your presence or being in the presence of God? And he said, you know what? Every Sunday, my kid wants to go to church. My kid comes in and says, hey, we going to church? We going to church? Kids got more sense than we do half the time. Amen. You should have family time. You should have family time. But it's not every Sunday. All right? Number three. I'm sick. Kind of. I'm sick, kind of. Ugh. You ever wake up on Sunday morning and just go, oh, I don't feel so good. Ugh. Oh, I don't, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe we just won't go to church this morning. Maybe we just won't go to church this morning. Here's a question. If this was Monday, would you call out sick from work? Now, I know you can be sick on Sunday and make a miraculous recovery for Monday. It happens. And we know that there are going to be times when you really don't feel good. But when you wake up on Sunday morning and you're thinking, I don't know if I feel good enough to go to church. Do you feel good enough to not go work? Do you feel good enough to not get paid? Or would you miss an important social event? If you wouldn't, excuse me for being crass, get your butt in church. Okay? Number two, I don't have to go to church to seek God. Remember, these are Christians. <laughs> these are Christians saying this. I don't have to go to church to seek God, and guess what? You sure do not. In fact, it would be very disappointing to think that you have not sought God during the week. I spend time with the Lord Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and then we get to come to church on Sunday and hang out with you guys. And if you're of the opinion that I don't need to go to church because I can get more God just me and him at the house, that's great. Bring it here. Bring that Jesus that you've been soaking in all week long. Bring it. And come on. And let's worship together. I get excited about Sunday mornings. Not just when I'm speaking. I get excited about every Sunday morning. Because we get to come to worship together. All right. You ready? Here's number one. I don't want to go. <laughs> At least they're honest on this one. I don't want to go. And let me just say this. If you have to convince yourself to go to church, if every Sunday morning you have to convince yourself to go to church, I'd ask, what lie are you believing? What lie are you believing? Are you believing that when we come to church, there's nothing worthwhile? There's nothing that's going to be poured into me because there's times I need it to be poured on me. There's other times when I come and I've just got to reach up and I've got to pull it out. 
But every time I come, it's about connecting with Jesus. It's about connecting with God. So I settled in my heart a long time ago that it wasn't, it, it wasn't a decision I was going to make. on so I, Before I was on staff at the church, because I remember there was about six years that Lisa and I and the, the girls were outside of church. Guess what? Sunday morning is a great time to sleep in. And, it, and every time we talk about going to church on, on Saturday night, you wake up and it, it could be January the 8th. And it's going to feel like spring. Oh, and what a nice day to go to the zoo. Wouldn't it be nice? Let's just have family time. But I settled in my heart a long time ago. That's not a question. That's not a question. I'm not going to believe the lie. That I don't get anything. That this is not worth my time. That I don't need to be there. And that I don't have something to give. So come to church. I know it's not always inconvenient. But the truth is that church is God's ideas, not man's. Verse 20. We're going to wrap it up here pretty soon. Verse 20. Still talking about Melchizedek. Melchizedek brought out uh, uh, wine and bread, and it says, And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Third point. Giving is inconvenient. But to have an open heaven, we must be willing to give. And by doing so, we create community. Just give back to God what belongs to God. And what belongs to God? Our time, our talent, and our tithe. Our time. And we, can, we can take that lots of different places. But let's just take it here. Our time, time in the word. Time in the Word of God. I read this statistic yesterday and I was, I was really kind of shocked. According to a 2013 poll, 57% of Christians, 57% of Christians, and for the Aggies in the room, that's a majority. Right. <laughs> and for the Sooners in the room, a majority is when there's more on one side than on the other. 57% of Christians read their Bible no more than four times a year. And you wonder why there's so little understanding of who God really is in the body of Christ. Why you have somebody who is set in church for years ask you questions like, why would God kill a baby? See, if you knew the word, John 10, 10 says the thief has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come, Jesus speaking, to give life, to give life, to give life. God is a God of life. We need to know the word. 57% of Christians read the Bible no more than four times a year, and only 26% read it at least four times a week. Do you know that if you read one chapter out of the New Testament just five times a week, you'll read the whole New Testament in a year? The whole New Testament in a year. Read the Word. 
Know who this God is that you're claiming. You're going to find his character. I was telling somebody the other day that, you know what? My emotions change. My situation changes. This never changes. You could take this and whatever is going on in my life, I can turn to a scripture. And it was the same scripture they would have turned to 150 years ago because the word doesn't change. It's always telling us who God is. It is always telling us about God's character, about his will, about his nature. This is a love letter written to you. A love letter written to you. Read it. Absorb it. Even if you don't understand it at first, just keep reading it. Who I didn't understand Shakespeare the first time I had to read it in high school, right? And I'm not saying read the, the King James Bible. If you're, if you're about the King James, that's great. Find you a translation that makes sense to you. And read it. And it's amazing. When you put the time into it, how it begins to come alive. How it begins to make sense. And you'll even see and go, uh, people have told me this all my life, but it says right here, something different. Know who God is. Know his character. Know his nature. The second talent, serve in the church. Serve in the church. Give of who you are. Give of who you are. About 25% of the, the people that, that call themselves members of New Covenant Church serve in the church. Let's, let's take that higher. Let's take that higher. Remember, Jesus didn't come to serve, but to be served. Right? Serving is good for you. You going through some things in your life? Serve. It's amazing how when you start giving to somebody else, when you start getting in, involved in somebody else's needs, how you begin to receive from the Lord. Serve. I'll have JB standing out there and he'll meet you out there if you want to serve. Wave your hand, JB. There you go. We got a dream team training next Saturday. It's a great time, a great time to connect with the serving team. And last but not least is tithe and giving. Tithe and giving. Just give back to God what belongs to Him. I know that sounds difficult to time. I'm supposed to give God 10% of what I made. But let me tell you, once again, my family spent about six years outside of church. Lisa and I, the moment we got married, we always tithed. Did you get outside of church? It's amazing how bad habits creep up. We got back in the church. Ooh, it was hard. We didn't tithe very consistently. We didn't give very consistently. Why? Because I need it. Fear. Fear would get me. But then came the day when we said, we're giving. I don't care if bills don't get paid. We're giving because God says to do it. And it's been amazing, amazing since that time. How God is so faithful. You know why? Because he takes our little, but he gives back in chunks. He gives back in chunks. 
Scripture says that He gives back. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And if that doesn't make any sense, that's, that's a term from when they were gathering the grain and they're putting them in these big bags or big barrels. And they would they'd press it down so they could get more in there. Then they would shake it so it would all settle to the bottom. But even after doing that, it's still running over. That's the way God gives back. So don't short circuit the power of God in your life by allowing fear. Just take one step towards God. When we first, when we first started getting back into giving, this... I understand the way that I'm saying this. This is not the end goal. This is just where I had to start. I told the Lord I couldn't give 10%. That scared me. And he goes, well, what doesn't scare you? I said, 5%. And he said, I'd rather have five in faith than 10 in fear. And giving that five broke the fear. Guess what? We didn't go broke giving five. I want to give God the other five. Take another step. This year, we've committed to do 12%. We just want to give more. We just want to give more. Wherever you are in this faith walk, just take a step. Just take a step. If you're not giving anything, give a dollar a week. Just something that you can put your faith in and say, God, I'm giving. God, I'm giving. Just give. Just give something. Give God the opportunity to break that fear. And he'll get you to where you need to go. He's not going to beat you over the head. He'll get you to where you need to go.